welcome to SVU. <laughs> <Especially heinous. laughs> I, couldn't even, I couldn't even get through it. All right. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season two, episode 12, Secrets. Secrets. The opening scene, there is this guy dressed in a jumpsuit with a toolbox. He opens the door to an apartment where there's this like loud classical music playing and he's looking around. He's confused. Miss Owens. <laughs> he walks around. He's like trying to figure out where she is. And her dining room had been converted into like a little classroom. There was like school desks and stuff. So mm-hmm. I was guessing she was a music teacher because of the classical music. I was just annoyed that I was being taken out of the scene because the way this apartment is decorated and like the little classroom and stuff, they're portraying like a working class person. He just kept going into different rooms. And I'm like, this apartment is like a thousand square feet, which is a fucking mansion as far as New York City apartments go. Yeah. So I was completely taken out of it. I was like, this set is bullshit for this. This should be a fucking shoebox of an apartment. He should have opened the door, heard the classical music, and there she was. Yeah, I didn't even at all think any of that stuff. I got mad at everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Set designers, fucking writers. People had nothing to do with it. I'm like, you guys, there are so many filters that this went through to get to my eyes for me to go, I don't even live there and I know that this is like not the way someone, what, what is this friends <laughs> she couldn't afford this apartment oh my god i know what the fuck is up with that i don't know i don't need to get into it she's a barista even... <laughs> one of them was a barista one of them played music for tips at that coffee shop like i'm not going it's whatever yeah. so he opens the door to a room and he finds it's like a super torn up and miss owens is face down on the bed naked and dead yeah but we all knew he was gonna find a dead body <laughs> you know the second the door opened yeah he's like i'm here hello miss owens? owens oh shit here we go so benson and stabler walk in and forensics are already doing their thing the victim's name is marnie owens she's 37 and she lived alone they think she was probably raped but there also isn't any forced entry and in, into the apartment so the guy that was fixing the toilet was actually the super mm-hmm. he's understandably like nervous and distraught marnie had called him last night about the toilet and how it was keeping her up but the boiler had gone out yeah he had to fix the boiler first like prioritize it and then he was going to come to marnie's in the morning because it was cold yeah so coroner warner says there's fluid and bruising around the genitals and that marnie was strangled to death she had been dead about 10 to 12 hours but it looked like she put up a fight but she'll know more after the autopsy mm-hmm. all of a sudden marnie's home phone starts ringing so if you don't know what a home phone is <laughs> They were like plugged into the wall and sometimes they had like cordless ones. Oh, yeah. At this point, they would have cordless ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like 2000. We had that. Yeah. But also because it didn't go everywhere with you, there was also an answering machine that you could connect to your phone. Yeah. Which is like voicemail. But stationary. (laughs) Yeah. So they let it go to the answering machine and listen to who's leaving a message. Yeah. As soon as it rings, Stabe's like, don't pick it up. Yeah. Oh, my God. I heard somebody say like, my kid asked me why we always say hang up the phone. (gasps) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, how do you... Yeah. Like, I would only mime it. I'd be like, because. You go like this. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so the person that leaves the message on the answering machine is a woman named Ruth. And the caller ID says it's from New York school. I'm not even going to get into caller ID. Forget it. Just, you've already figured it out, I'm sure, from Googling, if you cared about us at all. (laughs) The message Ruth left suggests that Marnie is late for something and they're getting worried. Then they notice a wall full of her achievements and awards. And it looks like she's like a fucking rad ass teacher. And then fucking Stabler says, school's out. 
<laughs> and Olivia looks at him like she's mentally filing a transfer request for that dumb fucking <laughs> comment. Dude, there's so many in this. Oh. I know. This is a great episode for like SVU one-liners. Yeah. So then theme song. So they're in the squad room and the, there's no doorman. So the quote doer only had to just follow her in. But there was no forced entry. So it could possibly be a student or a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. There were traces of semen and two different hairs, one matching Marnie. The super had a clean record and a solid alibi, so he's probably out. We also saw him walk in and like he's not the dude. Like we had the behind the scenes. They found a half empty bottle of Prozac. Craig and said I'd be depressed too if I had that job. And then I was like, if that's not the pot calling the kettle black, no like, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Because Right. You're the captain of the fucking SVU. Also, all of us take Prozac. All of us do. Yeah. I mean, I never have, but... Well, you should. (laughs) Okay, so there's no therapy appointments in her books. It's all just students. Yeah, she tutored kids on the side. That's why her apartment was set up like a little classroom. Yeah. So her most recent tutoring session was with Ethan Chance Mm -hmm. the night before at 6 p.m. Yep. So Cragen sends them off to the Douglas MacArthur High School. And then sends Munch and Toots to Canvas. Benson and Stabler walking and talking with the principal. I'm going to assume that this is Ruth from the phone call. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. She gushed on and on about how amazing Marnie was and how she went above and beyond for the kids. So much so that Ruth said she would be surprised if she had any kind of personal life outside of school. Mm -hmm. Marnie had missed a meeting on Friday and it was the first one that Ruth can remember her ever missing. Ruth asked Marnie if everything was okay, and Marnie told Ruth that it was nothing she couldn't handle. The detectives ask about Ethan Chance and Ruth says that he's one of her protégés. She says that Marnie took him from drug corner to applying to colleges. Thanks to Marnie, he's got a bright future. Also, thanks to his hard work and like willingness and, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It takes a lot. You can't just, she led the horse to water. I don't want to take away from her like, anyway. Yeah. You get what I'm saying. I do. Can't make that horse do algebra. No shit. But if you can, wow, you've got a fucking money maker on your Oh my hands. god, what are you doing teaching? Go, go into the fucking circus. <laughs> Ruth shows them to Marnie's classroom and she remains <laughs> X equals two. <laughs> Sorry. I would lose my shit if I saw that on TV. <laughs> I like how the horse thinks it's hilarious first. Like or like is that how they're That wasn't it laughing. (laughs) It's it was like like horses do. X equals two. (laughs) That's not laughing, that's how horse you do a horse sound. Yours is like a jolly Santa horse (laughs) who's good at math. (laughs) I can't do a horse, all right? And I shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Moving along. Okay. Ruth is showing the detectives to Marnie's classroom and she remains poised but on the verge of tears. It's like Mm -hmm. perfectly done. I know. I like how we think we're acting critics, by the way. Yeah, and I'm I'm over here. That's the horse running up to solve the problem in the front of the class. (laughs) Oh my God. How did it get, how did it get to that full speed? It's a gymnasium, obviously. (laughs) 
classrooms are small. Uh, it can't. It couldn't get to full speed and stop at the. Oh. Clip clop, clip clop. There's like two coconuts. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. Everybody liked Marty. They were in her classroom, and there was like kind of a little shrine on her desk. Mm-hmm. Um, even students were there. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ruth is off to get Ethan to talk to the detectives. Right. Yeah. Everybody's like, "Oh, she was so great." This mom comes up and tells them how incredible Marnie was. Like, this is a through line the entire episode. People being like, "Side note: Marnie was a fucking gem of a person mm-hmm. and teacher and selfless and blah blah blah." Ruth comes back in and lets the detectives know that Ethan never came to school. That that day i started to become like worried that i'm like oh my god is she like boning her students (gasps) me too yeah i know yeah and i think that's what they were kind of alluding to yes i think that's what the carrot was like follow this and i was like okay ethan's mom is a teller at a bank so benson and stabler are gonna go there to talk to her benson and stabler go to the bank to talk to ethan's mom Mm -hmm. they pull her outside isn't there like a conference room in the bank that you guys could go to it looks really fucking cold outside and they're like come out we're gonna talk out here it's gonna be really uncomfortable also this teacher of your sons that you really like she's dead she was murdered this mom is just like what the fuck is happening i know they continue to talk and as they do she makes the connection of what they're implying that ethan is kind of a suspect here ethan went to his tutoring session and came home around 11 which is his school night curfew Mm -hmm. she says ethan used to get in trouble for selling drugs but miss owens helped him get himself turned around she's like i told ethan i don't visit nobody in jail (laughs) yeah he had come home and told her that miss owens had yelled at him at their session but he wouldn't say any more to her and went to his room and slammed the door and then he was gone when mom got up the next morning she directs them to the corner he used to hang out at when he would cut school so they're gonna go and talk to the kids there so now there's a munch and toots walk and talk with a little old lady walking her chihuahua in a sweater i thought it had three legs oh I thought it was like a the little, a little like three-legged, long-haired chihuahua in a sweater, but it wasn't. This woman was all bundled up where you just saw just all the essentials of her face, like her mm-hmm. mouth and her nose and barely any of her eyes were coming <laughs> out of this fur-trimmed hood. Yeah. She was really cute. She was really cute. This lady reminded me of my grandma, but not in a good way. <laughs> so this woman was Marnie's neighbor and she's telling the detectives, she goes, she lived next door for six years. She said she was super nice, unlike the whore down the hall. <laughs> the curva. And then Munch is like, a Yiddish fear whore. We're like, okay, we got, we pretty much figured that out just by the way she said it. But thanks. We know Munch. Yeah. And then I wrote, we hate you, Munch. <laughs> I know you don't, but like, I, I'm still there. I don't. Not, I'm, I'm not indifferent, but I ride a line of like. Dude, you were like gunning for me loving Munch the beginning of the season. I apologized for that. You did apologize. And I'm sorry I threw that right back in your face. Mm. That That's not okay. That's not how you accept an apology. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, she tells them there was a student who looked like, quote, a hood there. Yeah, which we all know what that fucking means. I wrote, he looked like a hood, a.k.a. black, fucking boomers, die already. What's the generation before the boomers? This lady was old. She's dead now, though, for sure. Not boomers. What's the... I don't know, it's like the greatest generation of all time. It doesn't matter. She's a little racist old lady who taught baby boomers to be racist. Who taught her baby boomer children and her baby boomer tiny chihuahua in a sweater to be racist. (laughs) Yeah. She tells them that he was a black kid in a brown coat. Marnie had a boyfriend named Byron, but he hasn't been around lately. Her parents are dead and her brother Jordan is the only other person she knew, but said that she hadn't seen him in years. That's all the information they get from little old lady. She scoops up her pup and they move on. 
Mm-hmm. They're at the corner. They got Jordan, Marty's brother, to look at the body. He's upset, obviously. Also, this dude, he's like acting so hard. Yeah. You notice this? <laughs> yeah. I said he's painstakingly IDing his sister. Yeah. He had like one chance for the TV screen and by God, he's going to take it. He was just going yeah. for it. First, he says, I told her not to live in a building without a doorman. And I'm like, Dick Wolf is the leader of the doorman union lobby. Oh, my God. I know. I don't know how many times they're like, well, she didn't have a doorman. <sighs> Idiot. <laughs> yeah, we didn't see one cute little like old doorman guy. Anyways, they ask him about Marnie's boyfriend, Byron, and he like snatches their card really hard. Did you see that? He like put his whole <laughs> shoulder into it. <laughs> and he's like, boyfriend try a fair he's married mm. um so his name is byron marks he's a surgeon over at bellevue get him boys <laughs> Okay, sorry. Benson and Stabler are getting out of their car in the exterior set of Sister Act 2 to find Ethan hanging with his friends. (laughs) Ethan's not there. His buddies call him Little E, and I sounded like such a middle-aged lady just then. His friends call him Little E and tell the detectives he doesn't hang out there anymore. Not ever since he got his edumacation. And then, like, all the little boys laughed, and I remember that being funny. People say it, edumacation, and I don't know why it was funny but then again like i remember thinking what's that was super funny so like i don't know i don't know what the 2000s were doing and why but but i was there for it so so the cops press them and strong arm them threatening to go through their pockets Mm -hmm. yeah no (laughs) i know that's i'm like i don't like that it's not legal yeah or is it was it giuliani's new york at that time it might have been i think it was because giuliani was but yeah who know i don't remember when stop and frisk was like not cool but yeah maybe it was it's never could do that at that time it's always been not cool no i mean i know not cool when i say no not cool i mean like illegal illegal yeah like on the books like yeah don't just profile people and fucking go through their pockets yeah and then like blackmail them into talking to you by threatening to go through their shit one kid tells them that he saw ethan last night and he said that he had a fight with his teacher but this kid didn't have any more details he just said that ethan told him he had to run home before his mom came looking for him Mm -hmm. which i love that type of mom yeah where he's like i have to get home because i'm a little bit afraid of my mom (laughs) yeah i went i snuck out of the house to go get coffee and smoke cigarettes at Country Kitchen, which we all used to do back in the day. My yeah. parents fucking showed up. And <gasps> it was embarrassing. Oh my God, tell me. Yeah, they just showed up and they were like, you know, in their like pajama stuff. Because they knew exactly where I was because that's what I fucking, we all did. We weren't like bad kids. Yeah. Like to them, that was bad. Smoking and, right. you know, I wasn't going to shooting up heroin and like sucking dudes off behind Taco Bell dumps or anything. But but we would like bring Trivial Pursuit and just have like the whole smoking section, like answer questions. Mom and dad showed up drag me out of there that is mortifying it was more it was, well it was just like oh they once caught me smoking i wasn't supposed to be down state street either it was just like a dangerous place or whatever they sure. thought so i went down there to skateboard aka just hold a skateboard and <laughs> <laughs> i do know I, I could like ride it and kind of do an ollie and that was it and i was smoking a cigarette my parents had gone down there randomly to eat food at like the fucking brats place right and come out while i'm smoking a cigarette and i got a nickel in my hand giving it to a homeless guy my mom's like 
Gabriel! And I panic and threw the nickel on the ground and the cigarette into his cup. <gasps> like a fucking psycho. Because I was like panicking and then I got grounded for like the rest of my life. My mom literally was like, you're in prison or something. And I was like, <laughs> why am I talking about this? Go ahead. I don't know. <laughs> now we're at Bellevue Hospital. Munch and Toots are talking to Dr. Byron Marks. He says that his relationship with Marnie wasn't an affair. He and his wife were separated at the time and that he met Marnie at the mentoring program that they both attended. Mm -hmm. The last time he saw her was when they broke up a few months ago. She wasn't looking for a relationship and didn't want a commitment, but he was. And Munch is doubtful because he pigeonholes women. Yeah, he was like, um, in my experience, it's the other way around. And I was like, fuck you, Munch. Fuck yeah, you. I was like, fuck you much in that moment, too. Yeah. They ask him where he was Sunday at 10 p.m. And the doctor says that he was at dinner with his new girlfriend and spent the night at her place. So now Benson and Stabler are at Ethan Chance's house. His mom still hasn't found him. She lets them look around his room and he like weirdly has a super clean ass room. Did you notice that? My brother was like that. Just his personality type. He was very fucking tidy. Yeah. You know, I was your like cliche teenager where you had to like swim through piles of clothes to get to my yeah. bed. But Isaiah's room was spotless. He always got like the clean locker award in lower school. It's just how he is. Interesting. But anyway, yeah. So maybe this kid is just a tidy fucking kid. Yeah. So Stabler finds a crumpled up piece of paper with a screenshot from the Internet of Marnie's like naked ass on it. It's a printout of a photo that I would love to describe in unnecessary detail. Please. Okay. This was the most obvious. I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm a naked t Karen. I racked my brain to like try and make sure that I could describe her pose because it's a simple pose, but it is very particular. Yeah. So I don't know if I did it justice, but I'm trying. This image is of Miss Owens totally naked. All she's wearing is a blowout, a pair of very non-sexual black kitten heels mm -hmm. and a half smile. Yeah. Her body is in profile, okay, but she's looking to camera. She's bent over and her hands are overlapping each other on her shin. Yeah. There is, so her butt is like sticking up, but her back isn't arched or anything. It's like flat back. Yeah. There's a butterfly tattooed directly above her butt cheek. Um, how did I not see the butterfly tattoo? I don't know. I zoomed in. I was like examining it and I thought, I wonder if Gabe's going to notice the butterfly. And I'm kind of glad that you didn't so I could like give it to you right now. <laughs> Thanks. The background is bright pink. Like it's not in a room. It's like she was photoshopped onto a plain pink background. Mm -hmm. It is hilarious everything about it it's just so much wrong with it the, the shoes mm -mm. like yeah. those are the shoes she teaches in you know but not in a sexy hot for teacher no they're like okay we've got to have something that's risque but risque for primetime nbc in the early 2000s but that could have been any kind of shoe because it's just a shoe you know what i mean because at that time like pamela anderson those like thick chunky fucking stilettos That's what they should have had i know and like maybe like an apple in her hand or something who knows the bat the, the lack of back arch it changes everything it completely changes it that pose would be just as good for her to be like wearing capris and a gingham shirt modeling fucking gardening shoes yeah like same bent pose. over picking up apple slices for her soccer team or whatever right. or orange <laughs> slices or something she could have been in a my pillow ad same thing just like <laughs> yeah put some slacks She's on like, that bitch and she oh 
Found this, found my pillow. I'm going to pick it up. And everybody's like, oh, gasp. This is a lot. This is intense. I can't believe we're showing this on NBC. Yeah. I mean, she was, I know it's profile, but she was totally nakes. Yeah. And you could see like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of side boob. Her arm was strategically like placed. I didn't even notice the side. I mean, I was just looking at like the backside part because it was just so weird. It was so weird. I wonder if the FCC had something to say about it where they're like, okay, she can't have as much arch in her back. They need to drop the heel down a lot. She has to have first lady hair. Nothing sexier than like a first lady standing behind the president hair bouffant yeah she needs to look like she's going to a luncheon but was like whoops i'm not dressed yet (laughs) yeah okay all right that's enough yeah (laughs) that's enough we're gonna post it because we can because it's not a sexy photo it's not and you see it a bunch in the episode i mean any chance they got they whip out that fucking picture they're like we worked really hard to get this on the show so we're just (laughs) they make like fucking baseball cards out of it (laughs) fucking passing it out (laughs) i'm surprised they didn't just have the picture and like cut out her mouth and like used her mouth for the talking for the rest of the <laughs> time. Okay. Okay. So now we're in Kragen's office. They all have some theories kind of rolling around. Maybe she's boning the kids. Like she mm-hmm. seduces them and then dumps them when she gets what she wants. And I fucking hate this language. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go off on another thing. Sorry. That's fine. I went when it's a man teacher molesting a female student, it's statutory rape and molestation. And they say grooming, not seducing. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this plays into that bullshit that boys can't be groomed and manipulated by grown women. And like the whole like, if I was a teenager, I'd want to get fucked by my teacher and that kind of shit, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't like that. Yeah. So Munch says teenage hormones plus jealousy and rage is a recipe for murder. Craigan gets Munch and Toots to get Marnie's PC down to computer crimes. He wants units outside of Marnie's private funeral in case Ethan shows up. Yeah. So it was 2001. So I wonder how long Ethan had to wait for that to download, because currently I'm still like (laughs) Ethan found that on his computer. And it's just like. Another part of the image was that it was obviously printed off of a computer screen because there was like a toolbar and stuff up at the top of the printout. I didn't even think they had screenshotting stuff. It's almost like someone took a picture of the screen. I mean, there was no it was all dial up. And you could you could print stuff out. I don't know. They're at St. James Church. Everybody's there. I guess they had a picture of him or something. But like at the time, I thought they only had to point the only thing they had on him was he was wearing a brown jacket, you know? Yeah. So I was like, okay, have fun. Uh, Plus, like they couldn't make themselves any more fucking obvious. They're like talking into their like (laughs) into their shirts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we all know that's a cop thing. Yeah. The cuff link up to their face. Yeah. And they're like spirally thing behind their like ear. Like we can see that. I've got one coming up on 72nd. It's like, oh, you guys, a there's a van across the street. It's yeah. the flowers. <laughs> flowers by police. I mean, <laughs> not cops. Flower store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they tackle a dude for being black and wearing a brown jacket, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. Yeah. Olivia clocks who they think might be Ethan and... Right away, I was just like, because it's a black kid in a brown coat. Also, you've Mm -hmm. seen Ethan's mom more than once, and she probably has a photo of her kid. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Yeah. Nope, it's not him. I think they got a better look at his, a closer look at his face. I think they do actually know what he looks like. I'm just talking shit. Munch spots another brown parka, and this time it is Ethan. But as Ethan walks up, it was a really long, slow pause, and he's kind of looking back and forth between Toots standing there, not interacting with anyone with they're his... all like slowly putting their hands up to their talking to their sleeves and, they, like, and he's like takes off. looks 
looks over at Olivia and there they just stand more still. Like, if I stand very still, maybe he won't see that I'm police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While staring at him. <laughs> so Ethan's like, okay, well, I'm going to make these guys. And he takes off. So everybody hoofs it after him. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, quick, take your jacket off so they can't recognize you. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard this whole time. I know. Go back. This- okay. This chase scene was fucking bananas. It was just the nuts. pursuit music. <laughs> yeah. The pursuit music was so fucking good. Ugh. So Ethan hops off this high dumpster and rolls onto the sidewalk where Toots manhandles him. But I cannot, I cannot. This so you see like the top half of Ethan, and then his arms go. They're like really exaggerate how you are jumping off of a dumpster. Okay, <laughs> like you don't see him jump off of it. They're like the fucking body double couldn't come in today so he like fakes like he's gonna jump off of it and then they cut to him just rolling across the sidewalk as if he jumped and like did a tuck and roll so toots grabs him hard manhandles him and tells him his mom is looking for him then munch and toots and staves haul ethan off so they're in the interrogation room with ethan now benson asks why why he ran he didn't really answer um, he didn't answer at all, is what I mean. Stabler shows him the naked picture of Marnie, and he asks why he had it. He also doesn't answer. Then Toots asks Ethan when he and Marnie started boning, and that's what gets him, like, upset. And mm-hmm. he's like, I wasn't, we, we weren't knocking boots. And he said he showed up to Marnie's funeral because the last time he saw her, he called her a whore. Mm. And then Toots kind of pulls him aside, and he's like, dude, you were the last person to see her. You have this picture. You're on the run. They're lining everything up by what you have and right. what you're doing, and you, like, better fucking say what's going on so he says his buddy little camp aka marcus cole gave him that picture marcus had found it on some porn site and marnie was advertising for sex uh (gasps) what no um (laughs) she's an adult woman in black patent leather kitten heels she's not sexual (laughs) all she's supposed to do is teach me (laughs) marcus said he was going to show everyone at school because marnie was on him for not doing his work and like skipping school and shit. So he's like, he wanted to spread it around to kind of like fuck over Marnie. Mm-hmm. During Ethan's tutoring session with Marnie that night, the night that she died, he showed her the pic and tried to warn her what Mark was going to do, but she started freaking out and yelling at him and kicked him out. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning he tried to come back and apologize before school, but the cops were there. And then like some dude outside in the crowd told him she was murdered. He's super upset because he's like, she never judged me. Mm. And she always told me I could be somebody. And like, I called her a fucking whore. Benson asked him if she ever touched him. And he was like, it was not like that. she never laid a hand on me mm-hmm. and then i feel really bad for him because he's like crying and he's like the, the last thing he said to this woman he really cared about was that she was a whore and was like this weird fight yeah you know Ugh, i know so i craig felt and really his, bad for him too yeah so craig and toots did a little walk and talk toots doesn't think ethan murdered marnie his buddy marcus has a bit of a rap sheet he's like 17 he's got misdemeanor assault and a string of drug busts and it turns out when he showed him a picture to benson and stabler it was one of the kids in the drug corner that benson and stabler talked to yep. so craig and wants munch and to go grab him so they're in the interrogation with little camp nope they're in the interrogation <laughs> with 
<laughs> they're in the interrogation with Marcus Cole, Benson Stabler. Show him the nudie of Marnie. He laughs and he's like, I'm glad it's getting around. He denies like killing her or doing anything. He didn't like her, but he's like, I, I wouldn't kill a bitch for not graduating me. Mm-hmm. They ask him to take a blood test and he's totally down for it. So I'm like, okay, it's not him because they're never for it when they, you know. Yeah. He was like, I hadn't been to her place in months. Yeah. I'll take whatever kind of test you want. Yeah. And then on the other side of the glass, Craigan's obviously there because that's where he lives. Um, he's like, <laughs> he's like, this was way too easy because it was. Yeah. So and then Munch saunters in and he can't he can't even walk through a door without me being pissed. I'm like, Munch fucking saunters in and gives us some important information. <laughs> Munch comes in and he says that Marnie's tox screen came back with nothing in her system, not even Prozac. So they, did I say Prozac? You did say Prozac. <laughs> Gabe's very Prozac. <laughs> yeah, I am. It's true. It's funny because it's true. So now they need to go talk to fucking Marnie's brother again. Mm. All right. Now we're in computer crimes unit. Hernandez, the computer scientist lady, said Marnie's computer history came back like a bad porno flick. Marnie ran her ad on some website called the Love Studs. And then Hernandez says, welcome to the red light district of the new millennium. And I was like, oh, my God, you have no idea what's coming. (laughs) This is how your children are going to be coming. In the future. Like, this is <laughs> how things are now. And then Benson sounds like an uncomfortable robot. And she's like, hot babe looking for 10 hotter guys. I can take you all at once. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> she's reading Marnie's ad. Yeah. And then Stabler fucking literally says, riding through life on the sex superhighway. <laughs> and then they have Hernandez print all the responses that Marnie got from the last month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they can't get a digital file of it. Yeah. They're like, print that out on eight by 11 white sheets of paper. I hope you have enough black ink. Tear off the edges. <laughs> Tear off the little edges. All right. So Munch and Toots are talking to Marnie's brother, Jordan. I'm assuming it's a restaurant he works at or owns. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He just wants to be kind of left alone, though. Also, I thought Toots was wearing a cowboy hat, but it was just this like beanie in the chair in the background that looked like flares. <laughs> I think I sent it to you. You did. You sent me a photo. Didn't it look like a cowboy hat? I'll post it. It was like really low on his forehead. <laughs> yeah. And it did look like a cowboy hat. You were correct. <laughs> i drank a lot of coffee yesterday this it was yeah you did yeah <laughs> i got off the phone with you and i'm like whoo that was a lot i'm like just trust me trust me <laughs> <laughs> i've got all kinds of great ideas you don't listen to me <laughs> i know oh okay so munch wants to know why marnie is on prozac and he was like i don't know maybe it was the shrink that i sent her to that prescribed it mm-hmm. and jordan's like i don't want to fucking sound cold or anything but i've been preparing for this for a long time he knew about what marnie did and he said some people shoot heroin some people drink he said marnie's drug of choice is sex so he's I'm, I'm guessing she's a sex addict or he thinks she is yeah but then toots is like she ever talked to you about it and i'm like you don't have any siblings do you toots yeah and he's <laughs> like she didn't fucking have to dude like our rooms were next to each other I heard everything. He said she was self-destructive. He said his mom died a year after he was born and that their dad was either working or too drunk to care about anything. Ooh, and then he said that their dad never touched Marnie but couldn't keep his eyes off her chest and made comments about it. And I hate this shit. Mm-hmm. I hate this kind of stuff. This is like made my stomach squirm. Ugh. Yeah. So Munch and Toots are talking to the shrink at his office. He's telling them all about covert incest. He said covert incest. It's like if you're a little girl and maybe your dad like watches you take baths or tells dirty jokes. Then you hit puberty and dad like compliments your figure. Maybe ugh, maybe buys you lingerie. Then you get older 
And the only way you can relate to men is through sex. And that's, I guess, what he was calling covert incest. Yeah, I didn't go into the detail of it. I just said, you know, like Donald Trump and Ivanka. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's a a fucking word for it. Mm Mm-hmm. I never heard of covert incest before. Neither, neither had I. I just was listening to his explanation, and that's the first thing I thought of was like he's so like inappropriately handsy with his daughter, and talks about Nothing. her looks and her boobs and stuff like all the time. Ugh. So the shrink is telling them Marnie's a sex addict, and he prescribed her Prozac for the depression, which she got from her addiction and he goes on to explain that these people don't enjoy sex they're numb and toots goes it's like somebody who drinks too much or snorts cocaine or bets the house on the ponies and this is where we all hear john mulaney say there you go buddy (laughs) this is from that bit the svu bit that john mulaney does like when somebody smokes too many cigarettes when somebody buys too many scratchy lotteries. You remember, you know the bit I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Okay. You got it, Ice. So the shrink says, sex addicts carry so much shame and are always looking for redemption. Hence the -the over-the-top work with the kids and da-da-da-da. It's Mm. painting a full picture of who she is. Munch and Toots are having a walk and talk into the precinct and Munch is telling Toots that his ex had a series up at an art gallery and blah, blah, blah. This whole story leads to a gigantic print of a nude of Munch in Oh, natural. <laughs> Ugh. God, and Toots is like, so much. woof. And Munch goes, I'm sure you've got a deep, dark secret. And Toots is like, I'm a Republican. And then I went, wait. And then I threw my computer across the room. <laughs> well, I was like, <laughs> 1860s Republican or 2021 Republican? Like, those are very different. What are we talking about? Whoa. Did you see that? My mic just fell down. It's haunted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't touch it you scare me oh my god the ghost is gonna come through the mic and into your body don't <laughs> lucky for me i don't swallow <laughs> that's great yeah so toots is like i'm a republican and he walks away and leaves us with all kinds of questions I'm going to assume he's the old-timiest Republican version there is, okay? Because he's toots and I love him. Well, I think we could tell by his colony pony that he's a Republican, yes! 1860s Republican. Thank you, yes. We were in the squad room. There were 162 replies to Marnie's ad. So she had visited a lot of websites that also had clubs that you could meet people in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a lot of incoming calls from payphones, but also made a lot of outgoing calls to a place called Pleasure Partners, which also owns a swingers club called Flings down in Soho. Munch takes this like little jab at Kragen and says, you an expert? And like looks over his transition lenses. Uh-huh. Kragen's like, no, shut up. Fuck you, Munch. Off to flangs. Benson and Stabler are greeted by a shirtless Laszlo from What We Do in the Shadows and a young <laughs> Kathy Moriarty type. Oh my God. I love you so much. I love you too. Yes. They think that the detectives are there to participate, but they're actually there to shame them for being in a community that makes them uncomfortable. Yes. The couple tells them that Marnie is no longer welcome at Flings because she broke the rules. Yes, there are rules. Okay. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably made with more communication than you have with your wife, Stabes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Just, like, we'll wait. But yes, like... They're just kind of making like uh, faces at them yeah, the whole time. Yeah, Stabler has this like gross out look on his face. It's like, dude, they're adults. You're in a fucking swingers club. Who cares? Don't make this fucking weird. Right. 
they're not only adults, they're all consenting adults who are like, yeah. hey, this is a thing that we like to do. Yeah. And and open up you having like a huge fucking problem with it. Yeah. When she says that, oh, Marty didn't follow the rules. Stapler's mm-hmm. like, oh, you have rules. Yeah. And it's like, you're SVU. Like, you should fucking know about swingers and like polyamory and all that stuff. All the way that sh- fucking shit that consenting adults do. Right. Just like with a heterosexual relationship, there's rules you have to follow. Or I mean, a monogamous, you know? Right. So Marnie broke the rules, so she's not welcome there anymore. What she did was she had a threesome with two married dudes, and then she started an affair with one. So they give him more shit about that, like, oh, that's not meh. They're like, yeah, we have a rule about your primary partner being your priority, and we don't allow for that because they're not messy, okay? Yeah. Um, it's all about communication. So the affair <gasps> was with Dr. Byron Marks. Oh, we know him. Oh, my God. Then Olivia goes, guess the doctor was in. Oh, my God. And I'm like, you both get one this episode. That's your only one, Olivia. Yeah, that's it. Period. I just hated this, the whole fucking thing. They were just so shitty. Like, I know that they're presenting this as if we all feel this way, right? Like, we're all disgusted by this, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you guys weren't prepared for people to watch this 20 years from now and go, you're the gross one. You're being gross. Put on your fucking bonnet and go, I don't. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just. Just think about all the people that were into over the history that were into polyamory or were into BDSM Mm -hmm. or were into swinging, whatever the fuck, that were arrested or convicted for stuff that they didn't do because their sexual preferences were on fucking trial. You know what I mean? Right. They're treating these people just like the BDSM people in that one thing. They're treating them like fucking sexual deviants because of mm-hmm. t- just this that fucking like Western ugh, I can't. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, the early seasons of SVU are my absolute favorites, but mm-hmm. there's more problematic shit. So yeah. that's the trade-off is like these fucking rad-ass one-liners and these crazy storylines and shit and then that early 2000s problematic bullshit. Yeah, it's like luckily like the show grows with the times and stuff especially olivia Mm -hmm. like oh yeah munch says something in this episode too that i was like fuck yeah later though i'm glad that the people kind of were like standing up for themselves and they weren't making them being like these like oh you're here i'm gonna fuck you (laughs) you know what i mean yeah like laszlo got a little defensive you know but like like, but with every reason because they were hard judging him and not only judging mm -hmm. him but acting like they were doing something illegal and he's like we're actually not we're like a legitimate business yeah they didn't want to give stay his name but he's like hey i'll call the health department and they're like mm, okay here's byron's name you yeah know? i wonder what the health department would have to do in their space though they're like closed-toed shoes in the kitchen somebody's tits are flopping by the fryer <laughs> <laughs> they well, also in this thing though they're talking about how stapler's like oh you can't just like bone everybody and it's like each couple has like their own set of like limitations and rules just like monogamous couples right and like you could have sex with 400 people and if you broke one of the rules that's considered cheating in one of those relationships you know what i mean yeah it's not even about like it's is easy as you make it it's about communication you know yes Munch and Toots fucking Byron in the interrogation room they're kind of riding him and coming up with theories about him trying to get back together with Marnie and killing her yada 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 yeah he looks frazzled and he's like she came on to me and I'm like what does it have to do with being questioned regarding someone's death yeah so they for sure didn't meet at a mentoring program like he said all of a sudden dude's lawyer pops in and he's like the interview is over he pulls him aside and Byron's like look just keep my wife out of this Munch is like yeah we'll keep her out of it if you stop lying so byron and marty actually met in a chat room and they hooked up at that place flings they had an affair and then he said it got out of control he said they were having
having sex every day, sometimes two or three times a day, until they burned out and broke up. The night Marnie died... His wife was at the gym and Marnie called around seven. She was like super upset about her student, Ethan, showing her the picture of her on the internet mm-hmm. and wanted Byron to come over. So they had sex. He said he was there till about 830, but didn't kill her. Then goes on about how it's like he's possessed and it won't go away until he satisfies it with sex. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know anything about sex addiction. So he says Marnie takes her dates to this place called the Majestic. And then after, if a date goes well, she has this other super sleazy club called Dante's Inferno. And in my mind, I was like, it's probably a BDSM place and they're going to get all weird about S&M shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh my God. So this Dante's Inferno, it's dark in there, but there's like a red background kind of, and it looks fucking steamy. And like (laughs) this, like you just know it smells like misty sex that you can like probably taste in the air. I'm not gonna yuck your yum, but I'd be fucking barfing, dude. Like I that smell. (laughs) I know they've been steeping in it, so they don't notice. You know how that is. But like if I just walked into the room out of nowhere, I'm just like, whoa! Like this is all fucking. This air is all fuck. I'm breathing in fuck right now. Like I can't. (laughs) It's thick with fucking here. Yeah. Like if I can smell your fucking junk mm. from across the room, like I'm not going to mm. be like smacking my lips in like wafty, <laughs> evaporating like sex mist. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Okay. So then the cops fucking bust into this place. But like, why? I know. Like, why do they bust in and like fucking scare everybody? They're acting like they're doing something illegal. Do you do this at a coffee shop? Yeah. These people were literally just fucking in the dark. Right. You know what I mean? They hit the lights and everyone scurries to the perimeters of the room trying to grab mm. something to cover up with. And they're just like hard shaming all of these people. Toots finds an ounce of weed like it's a big deal. I want you to go back and watch because they pan across the crowd and one random dude looks exactly like Daryl Whitefeather from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Daryl Whitefeather. Having a few people over. The fucking boss. Like the head. He's the guy. He's got the mustache. And then he comes out like later in the series. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) I love him. And he's like super (laughs) the dorky dad, you know? Yeah. It was just Hmm. it was just like a tall chinless guy with a mustache. <laughs> so fucking Stabler literally threatens to walk these people out the front door where there are news cameras to shame them. Mm-hmm. Or if anyone tells them about who Marnie is, they can walk out the back. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? What are these people doing wrong? Like, And you're asking people to make shit up like if yeah. they don't want to feel shame. And everybody looks so ashamed and sad. And I feel like super bad for these people. Yeah. But like everybody raises their hand. Like they all know Marnie. At the right? end of this scene, I just said, I love how they're addressing sex addiction and then full stop shaming anyone who's not under a floral duvet in the missionary position with their spouse. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, people fuck different than other people, you guys. Yeah. You wish. You wish. <laughs> Gabe, you've been dreaming of, like, banging it out with Stabes for decades. And you watch this episode and you're like, that's some bland ass sex. Yeah. IRL, probably not. Yeah, I mean... So they're in an interrogation room. Uh, By the way, they have like everybody from that place in the cop shop. Craig is talking to the club owner. He's saying that they got him on promoting prostitution, third offense. And this guy is like, nobody's getting hurt. And then Munch pulls out Marnie's picture. And this is like uncorrelated. Like she got murdered. She didn't like, I don't, I don't understand. They're like, sex gets you killed. How do you not know this? I don't know why, why there's a charge of 
promoting prostitution quote yeah. i'm like how is this whatever there are people doing things to non-consenting people elsewhere like what is this that we're doing yeah i don't, I get don't it. know and can you get a different picture of marnie because they've seen her face too right he's like what am i gonna get out of this and he's like they'll tell the ada you cooperated if you spill the tea on marnie and so he's like okay fine she comes in a few times a week people really liked her because she would take on multiple dudes at the same time and then there was one dude that was super into her he points him out in the like crowd his name is philip montrose so now philip montrose is in the interview room with benson and stabler and he's like am i being charged with it i hated this guy by the way oh yeah um, they couldn't they couldn't get like a creepier guy he was like perfect mm -hmm. so he's like am i being charged with anything oh my god stabler literally says adultery it's still in the books like in this situation oh my god he would fucking use some old weird law and he's like i saw her on the website we met up at the majestic then the next night at dante's inferno and then he does this whole like restaurant metaphor thing and i hate it yeah and i didn't want to type it out but benson said what did you order and he said oh she ordered for the both of us sex <laughs> with me and four other guys and i wish she would just have stopped at sex because it was super <laughs> awkward and funny she ordered for the both of us sex mm, i'll have the sex mm, can i have a side effect sex i'm still pretty full can i get a box <laughs> He said Dante's Inferno was like an amusement park and Marnie was his favorite ride. And they both liked it rough. You can tell this dude's like never fucked in his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> but he said that the night Marnie was killed, he was at his in-laws trying to reconnect with his wife and two kids because they were separated. Squad room. Stabler's at his desk and he hangs up a phone that he had undoubtedly just picked up. <laughs> Dr. Byron's alibi checks out. Toots is like, he's not a murderer. He was just a perv. And then Munch kind of defends Marnie, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Finally. Yeah. He was like, the problem wasn't that Marnie liked group sex. It was that she couldn't stop herself. And then like Benson's on the phone and looks over at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Anyways, M Munch and Toots, they're like fighting. Munch is like, dude, all those people at fucking Dante's Inferno are consenting adults behind closed doors. They don't need an excuse for why they are there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, thank you. And then like Toots makes fun of him for having that picture in the gallery of his junk that he didn't consent to yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> i know and then craig and kind of like dads up and he's like dudes we're special victims unit not sex police and i'm like okay thank you now let all those people go right let my people <gasps> oh my god i was just about to sing the same thing really we raised so christian <laughs> i know let my people go yes <laughs> i love you put your finger on the camera Beep. <laughs> Benson gets off the phone. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Philip Montrose was arrested two months ago for criminal trespass in Connecticut, but he was actually stalking. It just got like pleaded down. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, he was at her memorial service. Yeah. When Cragen came out, he gave them the stakeout pics from Marnie's service. And mm -hmm. they're like, oh, there he is in a sea of black kids and brown parkas. <laughs> yeah. Benson says he either wanted to pay his respects or stalk her to the grave. What is wrong with this episode? <laughs> Like, I was like, oh, my God, this guy that knew Marnie went to her funeral. Book him. <laughs> You're like, what? OK, now we're outside of Philip's work. He's kind of rightfully like, what's wrong with me going to the service? Like, mm -hmm. is it a crime? Stabler calls him out about stalking Connecticut. And he said it was a misunderstanding and he hadn't seen that lady in months. Stabler also told him that he checked in on his alibi and his wife hasn't seen him or his child support in three months. And he's like, well, my wife would lie. She's trying to get back at me for everything. Then Benson and Stabler are like walking back to the car. And then Benson remembers when Ethan said that when he came back to Marnie's to apologize for calling her a whore, some dude outside in the crowd 
told him that a woman on the third floor that was a teacher was murdered. Mm-hmm. So they wonder if like maybe Philip Montrose was maybe the one that told Ethan that. Yeah. Because sometimes those dudes like to come back to the crime, you know? Mm-hmm. So they got to go back and talk to Ethan. Yeah. Back at Douglas MacArthur High School, Benson and Stabler are at the entry security checkpoint showing a guard a photo of Montrose. And he immediately recognizes him and says he had to boot him twice and then caught him trying to break into the school. So mm-hmm. we're getting more and more confirmation that this guy is yeah. He's like full totally on stalking. stalking Marnie. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are then in the hall of the school speculating that Marnie may still have been alive if she had just reported the stalking. But couldn't because she was going to get fucking judged. And I was like, yeah, by you yeah. guys. They're like, oh man, too bad she couldn't. Anyway, gross. Her lifestyle, gross. Like, yeah. You guys. Ethan walks up and immediately asks about Marnie. He says he got into a great school because of her. And your hard work, buddy. And your hard work. The detectives have him look at a picture of Montrose. He was the dude who told Ethan outside of Marnie's place that she had been murdered. So the detectives head off to Montrose's apartment. The whole squad is there. The dude has been scrapbooking. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's got zoom lens pics of all things Marnie and her death. They're going to take him in and he wants his lawyer. Did you see in that um, scrapbook that the paper had taken the naked picture of her and put it in there and wrote like teacher sex scandal thing? I was like, there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way a newspaper would take the victim's picture who's naked, even if she's standing sideways. I was like, are you kidding me? That is like, no. It's like teacher of the year. They would have put her school photo with the like blue and white modeled background sideways a little bit photo yeah they would have put that one in there not her in like a pussy bow (laughs) do you know (laughs) it's an actual thing yeah it's like a flouncy you know you know what i'm saying yeah i do i just was like being a child yeah no yes to that hundred percent to that but i was shocked and appalled when i saw that yeah you telling me gross <laughs> Did I take a picture of it? I don't think so. Now we're at Rikers Island. Cabot is toe to toe with Montrose's Epstein ass looking lawyer. Yes. He goes after Marnie's sex life and Cabot is not fucking having it. Yeah. Thank God that she came in at this point. She's saying the jury will never hear that, but they will hear about Montrose's DNA being found inside of her and the testimony from the women that he had previously stalked and his Mm -hmm. fucking scrapbook. Mm -hmm. Next, we're seeing Ethan give his testimony of talking to Montrose in front of the grand jury. The details he gave Ethan would have only been known to the police and the murderer. Mm -hmm. And then some dude walks in and whispers to Cabot and she's like, oh, hell no. She stomps out into the hallway where Montrose's lawyer is there saying that his client wants to make a statement to the grand jury and she's all i know what you're doing you dick and he's all Mm -hmm. i'm such a dick yeah he's like he has the right yeah (laughs) and you're supposed to give a a bigger heads up but like Mm -hmm. it's not illegal because they haven't even voted or anything so right yeah so they're in the chambers of judge lena petrovsky whom i love yes i was like i couldn't remember her name And I was like, Gabe, because I remember I was like, I think we love her. We do love her. Okay. And it's Cabot and Matthews, Montrose's lawyer. Yeah. Who by this point, getting a closer look at him, I'm like, oh, no, he's a Jeffrey Epstein, Kevin Nealon super smash. Whoa. Yeah. Dude, chill. I can't can't be that on fire today. It's too early. (laughs) (laughs) The chorus is there. He's like, none of this adds up. Get it? Because he does math. It's a math pun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Should have put deodorant on. (laughs) Okay. Hey, that was a good... Do that again. (gasps) 
a little walking down a little cobblestone. Lady Godiva. Okay. okay. We don't have a lot of time. Okay. So C- Cabot's like, all he wants to do is get his guy on there and talk about fucking Marnie's sexual history. And the guy's like, yeah, it's all relevant, which it is fucking not. Mm-hmm. Because of the short notice, Judge Lena is pissed, but it's not illegal. So she right. has to let it happen or he will move for a dismissal, which would be within his right to do. Mm-hmm. So now Cabot has to represent the entire case. So Cabot starts to get pissy and object, but Judge Lena says, I don't like it either, but you can get him on cross-examination. He's a fucking sitting duck because his lawyer can't object, which was rad because his lawyer was sitting like a foot from her. So she was like, yeah, fuck this guy. I hate him for doing this, but get his ass, which I was like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And then they touch fingertips. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Montrose is on the stand. He's talking about how he met Marnie and how she invited him for sex and how he and four other guys had sex with her. They keep panning to the crowd and they're all looking like disgusted, which is just squirmy, uncomfortable squares in their chairs. Yep. He said they had returned to the club together a bunch of times. And the night of her murder, Marty came to his apartment and was desperate because she was upset about, you know, Ethan showing her the nude photo on the Internet and was worried it would ruin her career. I also hated how he talked in this, where he was like, she took me to a sex club. Yeah, she did this. Like, he wasn't just like, I loved fucking her. Yeah. Ew. (laughs) My favorite ride. Woohoo! Ride the bad mouse. Um, it's from a little little america the, little america a theme park in marshall wisconsin it's <laughs> by the mild mouse <laughs> anyways he insists that he did not kill her so now we're in cross examinations cabot's like bro why'd you lie to the police <laughs> she didn't say that she's like why did you lie to the police i'm a lawyer i'm wearing a nude <laughs> suit and underwear this is what i do I'm very serious. His excuse is he's going through a divorce and didn't want to give his wife the ammo. Okay. Mm. She questions about the scrapbook and he's like, oh, Marnie knew about the photos and that excited her. He admits to calling Marnie his favorite ride. And when she's like, when you told Ethan that that teacher got killed, how did you know? And he was like, well, how do you think? Someone outside of Marnie's apartment told me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know all the details. I went over there to make sure she was okay. I was worried about her. And she's like, bullshit. You followed her to school. You followed her home. And you were jealous that she had sex with other men. And then he said, you think I was jealous of that slut? With a tiny little butthole mouth? I know. You have to care about someone to be it's... jealous. I'm trying to do the butthole mouth. You think I was jealous of that slut? <laughs> 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 like like a little butthole with teeth. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> I'm going to Photoshop and send that to you. <laughs> he said, she was a whore. She spread her legs for anybody, anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. As many times as she could. I can't even do it. <laughs> She'd pick up guys off the street. She liked it rough. She was asking for this to happen. Golly only knows who she picked up after my place because she needed another fix. And Cabot's calls him out for stalking that lady in Connecticut and then stalked Marnie. And now she's dead. She's like, what about your fix? Mm-hmm. And then he was like, oh, shit. And he was all quiet. Yeah. I'm like, don't think you can play pickleball with Cabot. And I don't know why I made that reference. <laughs> What's pickleball? It's a game. Is there is there any pickles involved? No, it's kind of like racquetball. Oh, right. Pickleball is kind of I don't know. Do I don't know that? enough to even use it as a reference. I just imagine like a round pickle that you're just like throwing around. <laughs> just bouncing off the wall with rackets. <laughs> Fucking dill juice getting in your eyes and stuff. Dill juice. Gotta wear goggles if you're going to play pickleball. <laughs> don't want them juices. <laughs> don't want them juices getting in your eyes. <laughs> I don't know what I am on today. OK, I don't know. 
I love it. Yay. <laughs> so now we're in Cragen's office. Cabot tells him that Montrose and his lawyer put Marnie's sex life on trial. Mm-hmm. And she's like worried Montrose is going to win. And Cragen is like, yeah, sometimes the law isn't about justice. She's like, how'd you know our little secret? He was like, because of all the Marnies before her. Like, mm. this is some shit, you know, it happens all the time. Yeah. But he like assures her. He's like, from where I'm sitting, you're fucking doing everything right. And you're great. And she's like, thanks, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes back to the entrance into the grand jury room. A dude walks out of the grand jury room and hands a folded piece of paper to another dude who walks it, no lie, six steps, I counted, (laughs) to hand it to Cabot. Why? Why have both guys? Weird. I guess I didn't notice that. I bet you they get paid a shit ton of our tax money, too. (laughs) Both of them. I was going to say, it's probably the union. (laughs) The indictment handing union. And then I was like, it might be another fan walk on roll. <laughs> oh, yeah. They got an indictment, but the grand jury didn't go for murder two. They went for manslaughter one because they couldn't get over Marty's sex life shit, mm-hmm. which is I'm like, why? Why does it have to like, why does sex equal murder to you? <laughs> like and judgmental Benson and Stabler throughout the entire episode are now like, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe they looked at it like you guys did this whole time. Yeah. If a jury votes against him, he'll get 15 to 25 and Cabot's like, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. She's happy with something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how murdering someone that you're stalking is just manslaughter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Does that make sense to you? Is there something that I'm missing? No, it's not something that you're missing. It's that her life didn't have as much value because of stuff that had nothing to do with her murder. I don't get, I don't get how, I don't understand how murder... I don't understand. Me neither. Okay, so this episode is inspired by a true story. It's brought to you by... (laughs) Nothing. Horse math. I was going to say horse, (laughs) something with horse. I was like, horseshoes for math kids. Or (laughs) horseshoes for math kids. Horse math. (laughs) By algebra. By the number seven. (laughs) I just sounded like Cher. (laughs) Seven. (laughs) (laughs) Snap out of it. Okay. Okay. So the early 70s was a time of female liberation and sexual freedom. Mm, I mean, they like to think that, but yeah. Okay, well, like, it was like a thing that women were trying to do. Yeah. Okay. Women were beginning to make their own money, live on their own, and didn't conform to the expectation of wife, mother, and homemaker. Yes, it is not a perfect scenario, but it was like more and more women were like, I don't have to do that. Yeah. You know, and were trying to support themselves and live on their own and have careers and shit that in that time they were being hard judged for. Right. But they were still attempting it. So the swing in 70s, women worked, hung out in bars. And had encounters with whoever they felt like. This is all like super new shit. Mm -hmm. It was 1972 and Roseanne Quinn was 27 and living in New York. She was a little five foot five redhead and liked by absolutely everyone who knew her. Oh my God. Just like me. (laughs) Oh man. No. (laughs) Roseanne grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey. She was raised Irish Catholic and attended Morris Catholic High School. She went on to graduate from Newark State College majoring in education. Rosen had moved to the city to become a special needs teacher in 1969. This often described quiet, unassuming woman worked with hearing impaired children at the St. Joseph's School for Deaf Children in the Bronx. 
Aww. She was devoted to her class of little eight-year-olds. One story that I read was she would bring them breakfast to school because the kids would take long bus rides every morning to get there. She didn't have to do that. Yeah. Her dry cleaner described her as, quote, a pretty quiet young woman who walked with a slight limp. The limp was caused by polio that she had gotten through as a child because people used to get fucking polio. Right. You hear that anti-vaxxers? I know you haven't seen it in a long time. (laughs) The dry cleaner was also interviewed by someone else later and said, quote, we get some weird people around here, but this girl was different. She was very nice and quiet and shy. She wore skirts and blouses, not this hippie stuff. And I'm like, well, we can we stop talking to the fucking dry cleaner? (laughs) (laughs) I just read a couple different articles that had different quotes from this person. A spokesman for St. Joseph's School told the news, quote, she was a friendly, pleasing personality, not only with the children, but also with other teachers. The head of school said, Roseanne was kind and patient with the children. You get it, right? Her Mm -hmm. qualities were bright and clear. She's great. She's a great person. She's a great person. But like all of us, she was a multidimensional person. She loved her single life, her freedom, her independence. Some articles say that a friend said this and some said that it was an acquaintance. But either way, it sounds like old timey shade. They said, quote, she was the type of girl who would have a guy in if he brought her home. I take that as shade because it's like, what are you trying to say about her? Mm -hmm. I see. what. Do you know what I mean? Why it sounds shady? Yeah, it does. Because it's like she's the kind of girl that would just fuck anybody. She would have a guy in if he brought her home, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, wink. Vagina, vagina. Finger in the hole. Finger in the hole. (laughs) Train going through a tunnel. (laughs) Sex. We can't. I cannot do a horse. They all sound like Cher. Yeah. (laughs) Sexual intercourse. (laughs) All right. I'm done with. I won't do any more horse stuff. No more horse On New Year's Eve of 1972, Roseanne went out to celebrate. She had apparently met John Wayne Wilson at the Allstate Cafe on West 72nd Street and went out with him and another dude for New Year's Eve that night. Okay, so there's like differing accounts there, Mm -hmm. but it's said that that's where she met him. And it's also said that they possibly met at Tweed's Bar on the Upper West Side. This is a Mm -hmm. place that Roseanne frequented. Whatever account it is, that's where they went out to was Tweed's Bar. Okay. Wilson was charming. He was tall, lean, and good looking. He was 23 Mm -hmm. with a little blonde mustache, which completely takes him out of the being good looking running for me. Oh my God. Me too. I hate blonde people and I hate their blonde mustaches. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry, just, guy, like, whose dog I'm watching. <laughs> I read I read a thing that that said that called it a wispy blonde mustache, and I'm like, ew. ew. <laughs> yeah. What if you're talking to him and like there was just like a little slight breeze, and it was that kind of wispy where it was just like <laughs> fluttering. Ew. What's that movie where it's like an Adam Sandler movie where the the guy that someone's dating and Sandler's always like making fun of his soul patch and it's like fluttering in the wind as he plays the bass guitar. What's that from? Oh god, Fuck. I don't know. Somebody's gonna know. It's it's an Adam Sandler movie and the guy who's doing it, I don't remember his name, but he's like a constant Adam Sandler cast member who is in Grandma's Boy. He's like the main guy in Grandma's Boy. Oh my god, I love that movie. Me too. What, are you gonna come back and come on my dad? <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, right. my roommates are asleep. You mean your parents? Um, okay. New high score. Did I break it? What does that mean? 
Okay, so Wilson worked as a mailroom clerk in an office and was popular with the ladies there. A co-worker of Wilson said, quote, he loves to take them downstairs for ice cream soda and they love going. Beyond that, I don't know much about him or his habits. At some point in the night on New Year's Eve, the two went back to Roseanne's little seventh floor apartment on 72nd Street. School started back up after the holidays and Roseanne didn't show up. The head of school called her but was not able to reach Roseanne. The day passed, but by the next morning, she was a no-show for the second consecutive day. It was then that Roseanne's building super let the head of school into the apartment where she found Roseanne in her bed naked. A 65-pound statuette in Roseanne's likeness lay across her face. She had been badly beaten with it. She was surrounded by her own blood and blood splattered all over the walls. It, of course, can never be completely confirmed, but it is recalled multiple times in different publications that Roseanne's final words were her pleading, kill me, kill me, please. So she was alive when they found her? No, no, she was dead. Oh. But this is this was dug so deep into because it's part of the zeitgeist, this story. Deputy Chief Medical Examiner John F. Fury also found 18 stab wounds to her stomach and neck. Oh. Two days after Roseanne Quinn's body was found, John Wayne Wilson, her New Year's Eve pal, stopped going into work. Wilson had been living with a friend that all of the papers and books, etc., felt a very strong need to emphasize that this friend was a gay man, right? So then there was all this speculation because it's like he was living with a gay man in New York. Like, what the fuck? So he's a murderer? Is that what they're... I don't... There was so much speculating about him being like a closeted gay man who was angry and then like he couldn't get it up with Roseanne, but then like she made fun of him. So like none of this is confirmed. This is all like speculated. Oh, it's all like stuff that they... There's such a deep rabbit hole to go down with this shit. So maybe there are interviews that lead to some of this making sense, but everything that I read was like, it sounds like all of that speculation stems from him being friends with a gay dude okay which is dumb but anyway thematically everyone is way too into what any of the people in this story are doing with their bodies yeah across the board what a surprise i know shit so it was this friend who told police where they could find wilson turns out he had fled to his brother's apartment in indianapolis It was there where he was picked up on January 10th and confessed to killing Roseanne. And he had quite the rap sheet. He had basically been a drifter across the country since dropping out of high school as a sophomore. And he had been arrested five times in Florida and in Kansas City. When Roseanne met Wilson that night, he was actually a fugitive on the run. He had escaped a Miami prison on July 6th of that year. Mm. Yeah. So he's in the tombs awaiting trial then. I was like, the tombs, right? Because remember how we there was that episode and we were like, oh, yeah, it must just be like holding or whatever. It's actually the Manhattan House of Detention for Men. Mm -hmm. And they call it the tombs. So is it underground or something? That I don't know. But anyway, on May 5th of 1973, Wilson hanged himself with a bedsheet while awaiting trial there. So he's dead. In 1975, Judith Rossner took the story as an inspiration for a novel called Looking for Mr. Goodbar. In 1977, the book was adapted into a movie starring Diane Keaton and Richard Gere. And there was also another book called Closing Time, the true story of Looking for Mr. Goodbar that Truman Capote called a first-rate achievement. It's not fiction, but it's not just nonfiction. It was called an interpretive biography. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, so hold on. Okay. They both raped her? Who? John Wayne. Is it John Wayne Wilson? Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's only one he, dude. Oh, I thought you said she had two friends that came. Oh, oh she did me. have... She did have two friends. The one guy went home and she was seen leaving with john wayne wilson like they went 
home together, oh, okay. just the two of them. So did he rape her? At first they thought that it was, nothing could be confirmed, but there was evidence of sex having happened. And at first they called it rape, but then they weren't sure. So it was either he assaulted her or they had sex and then he killed her. Did he take any of her stuff or anything? Mm-mm. What the fuck? Yeah. So there was this. What was his rap sheet? Not that. But he, I mean, he had a lot of like little things on his rap sheet. But so there was this journalist. I read this thing that this journalist had put together. His name was Herbert Haddad. And at the time, he was a young journalist living in her neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. he did a bunch of research on it and was working on the story for it. But something that he had said in some of the stuff that he had written was, quote, when Wilson declined or became incapable of a romantic endeavor, Roseanne either kidded or taunted him. He became enraged and beat her to death. So... That, again, is speculating that Wilson was a self-loathing, closeted gay man who lashed out in violence toward women. But I don't know if they were trying to if that was them trying to find an explanation. Yeah, because that doesn't fucking really add up. But how much detail can we really get unless we get the detail from Roseanne? So also, so how long was she in the apartment debt? Because you said it was over. It Winter was a couple break. days. It, they said that she, um, so she had a cat named Missy and, um, what? <laughs> Cats like eat their owners. Oh, I know. I know. But they were, they gauged based on, I mean, obviously like the level of, uh, they can time out how long someone's been dead or whatever based mm-hmm. on their body decomp and stuff. But based on how much food the cat had in their dish, in her little Missy dish, they said that she was probably dead for a little over a day. So oh, that's it? Yeah. So like she was killed on New Year's Eve and then there probably wasn't school the next day because it was New Year's Day. So there's probably school the next day. So, so, so like it, three days. Let's say it's let's say it's five in the morning on New okay. Year's Day. Right. And then there's 24 hours go by and then it's the early morning of the next. Yeah, that's like two days. Okay. When they find her because by the because she was she only missed one day of work or maybe they did have school on the first. No, they don't. Maybe in the 70s. I don't know. As heartbreaking as this all is, the through line of every fucking article, every book, movie is exactly what you would expect. Roseanne Quinn became a cautionary tale for women to not engage in anonymous one night stands. (sighs) And then I just put Gabe go off. Oh, God. It's so weird that they're like, always tell guys, you know, they're not shamed for that stuff. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're, but they're, women are. But it's like, who are these guys having sex with then? Right. Well, they're having sex with the women who are being shamed for having sex with them. And I they know. themselves and are shaming the women for having sex with them. Yeah. Not even that long ago. Like, how many fucking college movies had the like walk of shame thing for women where they would have sex with a guy and then they would leave and they would like, everyone would open the door and like laugh at them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah. So every article, everything, like these books, everything was saying like look at what happened look at what happened because of this new lifestyle that women are trying to lead this is what can happen so get back in your aprons get back in your kitchens are you gonna live in an apartment alone you know yeah i know thanks for the uh, good chaser you're welcome i'm waiting for you to go i hated it and i hate you and i hate men <laughs> the last part i love you <laughs> okay no horse stuff starting now now all right follow us on all social media at svu pod rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts email us at svupod at gmail.com check out our website at svupod.com get merch there (laughs) 
<laughs> Send me some more ghost stories. And hashtag little bit loud. Yeah. Next week we have episode 13. A cop turned activist becomes a suspect in the killings of several rapists who were recently paroled. Ooh. Ooh. Season two, episode 13, victims. And the cop turned activist is Eric Roberts. Who's that? He's an actor. Oh, is he? Yep. Or is he a horse? (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) The red cults are coming. All right. You would know who. He was in The Dark Knight. He was in The Expendables. He's been in a ton of shit. He plays a really good villain. Eric Robbins? What's some of the... Eric Roberts. He was in Stalked by My Doctor, A Sleepwalker's Nightmare. He, he was in Human Centipede 3. Ew. I never saw any of those. Neither did I. Dude, I, he was a fucking babe in 1985. Mm, hello. Look at that shit. Look. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Jaw. Oh, my God. I remember he was on Dr. Drew's Celebrity Rehab. I don't have time to get into how problematic that shit is. Okay. Dude, fucking that doctor. What's his name again? Dr. Drew. Do- Dr. Drew was fucking ripped. Oh, my God. Did I tell you? The guy who... I birthed Jacoby, who caught Jacoby when he came out, looked just like Dr. Drew. I called him Dr. Drew, and I'm like, why do you have to be so hot? This is stupid. I'm disgusting, (laughs) and I shit. (laughs) And then Jacoby just face-planted into his huge bicep. John was uncomfortable with how much I was like, why does my doctor have to be so hot? I hate this. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) 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 you had you brought double flip-up shades to the... (laughs) to birthing to flip <laughs> alright I love you goodbye I love you bye 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 okay. <laughs> love you bye <laughs>